Uh, all right, so today in week number four of Environment Soil Matters, what I need you to catch up to if you're new with us is, is the most important thing for today is that you understand that your soul is designed to grow. To grab today's message, you're going to need to understand your soul is designed to grow. The call of God does not stop in your life. It is always designed to grow you, stretch you, get you closer to Him, and help you reach more people. I listened to a podcast yesterday of a man who was 81 years old being interviewed, uh, and he said, I, I, I never retire. I won't retire. I didn't retire. I've transitioned, but the call of God doesn't stop just because I reach a certain age. So what I need you to recognize, no matter where you're at in life, what's going on in your life, if you're still breathing, God's not done. Okay? Your soul is designed to always grow and so as we kind of understand that, uh, what I want to talk about today is recognizing the season that you're in. We're going to wrap up this message series by recognizing what season you're in. I really preferred to have like this nifty little like real tight bow on it where I could do winter, spring, summer, or fall. All you got to do is call. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Uh, but I don't, it's, that's not really where scripture takes me. I, scripture really gives us two seasons to look at. Uh, the metaphor is used in multiple ways in those seasons, uh, but there's two main seasons. The first one uh, that, that I want to talk about is seed time. There's a seed time and harvest uh, illustration metaphor, and there's a valley and a mountaintop kind of metaphor. And they both are kind of saying the same thing. But like seed time, for, for many of us, if we're not farmers, any farmers in the building? No farmers. Okay, cool. I can say whatever I want. You can't fact check me. For many of us, seed time kind of pictures up like you bought a, a pot at the, you bought a pot, not some pot. You bought a pot at the store at Lowe's or something, put some dirt in it, and you poked your finger in it, put a seed in it, like covered it up, and you're done. Like that's seed time for many of us. But when scripture is talking about seed time, uh, it's, it's complicated, it's difficult, it's hard, right? And seed time in scripture is a time where you're tilling up the ground and you're planting seeds, and you really don't know how much it's going to produce, or if it's going to be really effective, what's going to produce. You really don't know all the, the end result. It's kind of obscure. It's kind of confusing because they didn't have great irrigation systems in the Old Testament. They especially didn't have this massive amount of equipment that could run water to their whole crop. So if it didn't rain, they didn't get water. The crop failed. So seed time was kind of frustrating and confusing because you don't know what kind of harvest you're going to have off of all the work that you're putting into it. Versus harvest time, you're like, you know, you're good. Hey, this is how many apples we got. This is how much we got of this. This is how much wheat we've got. All of these things are known and you can see very clearly. The other illustration that's used in scriptures for the, the seasons that you might find yourself in is the valley and the mountaintop. You see, the mountaintop is real clear. You're, you're on the mountaintop and you can look back at the valley you just went through and go, that's why God did that. That makes total sense. Now I know why I went through that. And you can kind of see a little bit forward and see kind of what God is trying to work out in your life. You start to see things a little bit clearer. But in the valley, in the valley time, it's like, I don't, I, I can't really see what's in my past. I can't really see because there's mountain ranges blocking my view and I'm confused and I don't know. And so today, I want you to gauge what season you're in. The other thing that might make it a little complicated is that you can have two seasons simultaneously in different areas of your life. You may have a season where you're in a seed time season when it comes to, to maybe some theological understandings that you're wrestling with. Maybe you're like, man, I, I don't know about God in this way and how much my free will exists and how much he's in control of all the details of my life. And I'm wrestling through that and it's tense and I'm wondering why this happened. You may have a seed time moment for that. But in your marriage, you may be bearing fruit. 
You may be like, man, we're in the best spot that we've ever been spiritually. We're connected. We're growing. It's like I can see the investment has, has turned a profit essentially. And now like we're in a good space. So you can have simultaneously in your life a, a seed time and a harvest time, a valley time and a mountain time. So today I kind of want you to gauge different areas of your life and see which ones are potentially in the valley. See which ones are potentially in seed time and see which ones are on the mountaintop. Mountaintop, we don't have to worry about as much because you're like, I'm good. I'm getting the fruit. Everything's good. I can see what God's doing. But maybe you check and see why you're there and what do you do when you're there. Now, uh, I want you to recognize something really important. And that is that uh, many times the valley that you're in may not have anything to do with a bad decision you made or a wrong turn that you made. It might be you're in a valley and God has led you exactly to that valley for a reason. And one of the most... Uh, popular chapters in the Bible, if not the most, is Psalms 23. And in Psalms 23, it sets up this illustration of God as our good shepherd. It says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You know, that verse leads me beside still water. He's apparently leading still water really well this year. But he's leading me beside still water. And then it says something in verse 4 that I want you to get. And Psalm chapter 23, verse 4, it says, now this is a shepherd illustration. It says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I've always liked the portion of this verse that says, you are with me. Like, I've always kind of visualized this as like, I'm in a bad space. It's really dark. Like the illustration of the shadow of death is the darkest of dark. Okay, I'm good because you're with me. What I haven't noticed until this point is that last line that says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now if... If the whole chapter is set up as God as the shepherd and him guiding me, if his rod and his staff are there, that means he was there leading me. It's not just that I turned and I got down a bad path. It's not that I just was led astray like some of the illustrations in the New Testament. It's literally that your rod, your staff, the direction that you push me on, the, the shepherd is going to push the sheep and guide the sheep and move the sheep with the rod and the staff. He said, the direction you put me on, that comforts me. Knowing that I'm here with you and because you led me here, that brings me comfort. And you're like, I don't like that, Jared. I don't like the idea that God is going to lead me to dark places, confusing places, frustrating places. And I would say, I'm with you. I don't like that either. It doesn't mean that's not true. It doesn't mean that God is not trying to lead you to a place to guide you through some things and that there aren't some tensions in your life that are there for a purpose and that God is trying to do something through those. Uh, there was a, a study done in the 1990s. Um, you might actually remember a movie that came out because of that study. Anybody seen Biodome? Anybody remember this movie? Some of you are showing your age. That's okay. We're I'm with you. Uh, there was a movie out called Biodome, and I told this to the 10. I don't remember very much of the movie, so it might be highly inappropriate. Please don't go watch it because your pastor mentioned it in a service. I don't even remember. It's in the 90s. I was probably sent it back then. Uh, but it was based on an actual study that, was, that existed uh, where they created these biospheres and they were testing out different things and trying to figure out how things worked and what didn't work. But they basically tried to create the perfect environment. Everything is perfect. Everything's going to be perfect. They even put people inside of this environment. It was essentially a catastrophe. If you go read it, they did it twice. Kind of a catastrophe. One of the things that came up is uh, as these trees grow, it was a couple years in, trees would grow and they just noticed that all of a sudden, no wind, no nothing, the tree would just fall over. It would just go to the ground. And you would think to yourself, why would that tree fall to the ground? It's in the perfect environment. It should, be, it should be fantastic. That tree should be the perfect tree. Like if I was going to build a table, I would want the wood off of that tree to build that table because that's the perfect tree in the perfect atmosphere. 
But what they found out is that there was not a sufficient amount of wind inside of the biosphere. There wasn't storms. There wasn't struggles or tension for the tree. And what the tree really needed in its life to be the tree it was called to be was a little bit of tension and pressure to stretch it so that it would rock in the dirt and its roots could grow deeper. They found out that there's a thing called tension wood that whenever it's stretched and kind of cracks and creaks, it's actually breaking just ever so slightly. And then stronger wood would grow in its place so that it could sustain its own growth. And what I want you to get, if you're taking notes, is don't run from the tension of seed time because you're there for a reason. Don't run from the tension of seed time because you're there for a reason. The, the tension, the thing that God is leading you through, the struggles that you're going through, it, it is to make you stronger, to get you to a place where you can understand something differently, sustain something better, and so that you can be who, the, who God has called you to be. See, the tree couldn't sustain its own growth because it didn't have the right tensions in its life. And without the storms God has called us to walk through, we can't handle the call of God on our life because our character can't sustain it. We will fall under the weight of the call of God unless we embrace the tension, unless we embrace the seed time, the valley time, or maybe even the storm time. There's a, a moment in the New Testament, in case you were one of those people who were like, ha, you read from the Old Testament. I only believe in the New Testament. He led them that way, but he doesn't have to lead us this way because Jesus brought us the victory. I heard that song. I'm the champion. I don't got to face no giants. He's doing it for me. Ha, ha, ha. This is a lie, Jared. I don't have to go through no storms, nor seed time, nor no valleys because my God's good. In the New Testament, Jesus is leading his disciples. And when he's leading his disciples, ironically enough, it's right after he tells the parable of the sower that we've been talking about so much through this series. Uh, right after he's telling them, he tells them a couple more parables, and then he tells them, hey guys, we're going to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Get in the boat, let's go. And as they get uh, halfway through, Jesus is, is asleep in the boat, just sleeping, chilling, and a storm comes, and it's a massive storm, and the disciples are like, we're about to die, right? I imagine it would have been very strange to think you're going to die and then notice a guy is sleeping through it, right? You're like, what is wrong with this guy? He has lost his mind. We're about to die. At first glance, I would have thought, well, if Jesus is sleeping through it, then the disciples must have been, you know, let's be honest, kind of some chumps. You know what I'm saying? Like, suck it up. It's not that bad. It's just a little drizzle, and you're freaking out over nothing. But if you think about it, the four out of the 12 disciples are actually raised to be fishermen. That four out of the 12, Peter, the leader of all of them, was raised to be a fisherman, which essentially means that his dad was a fisherman, he was raised around it, and he was trained to be a fisherman, which he had been on that water, seen storms before, and this one terrified him. There wasn't like a story where he's like, there's like eight of the 12 are freaking out, but the four that have been through it are like, ah, oh, it's fine, don't worry, don't wake Jesus up, this is cool. No, they're all thinking they're going to drown. Nothing in Scripture suggests to us that the storm wasn't as bad as they thought it was. It was that bad. And they wake Jesus up and like, hey, don't you care that we're about to die? And I'm like, I was like, come on, man. I'm trying to sleep. I'm trying to take a nap. You got to wake me up for this. He gets up, calms the storm. Everything's chill. And then this is what, they, this is what happens in verse uh, 25 of Luke chapter 8. He says, where's your faith? He asked the disciples. In fear and amazement, they asked one another, who is this? He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. Who, who is this? I was like, you have been seven chapters in to a guy who you've seen do crazy miracles. You've seen all kinds of crazy miracles, and this is the thing that shocks you? This all of a sudden blows your mind? Like, there was something in that storm and in that moment and in him calming the seas and the winds that brought them to a deeper understanding of who, that they, were, who they were following. 
See, they could see arms extended. They could see people healed, blind eyes open. But it didn't teach them what they needed to learn in the storm. See, there are some things that you're not going to learn unless you go through the storm that God has called you to go through. There are some things you learn about who God is and the character of God and the goodness of God that you learn in the storm, in the tension, in the struggle, in the valley, in the seed time. There are things that you learn there that you can't learn anywhere else. And there's a place that he wants to take you that you're not going to get through and get to unless you go through the storm. I want to say it like this if you're taking notes. If we only follow God when it's comfortable, we will collapse under the weight of our calling. If, if, if we are like, oh, we're going to the other side. Is there a storm? Okay, I'm out. I'm going to stay here. I'm going to take a flight to the other side. I'll meet you guys in the comfort level that I'm in on walking on dry land because I'm not a fisherman. I don't like the boat. You'll never get to the place God has called you to be. You'll never be able to do the thing that God has called you to do until you go the, the direction he's leading you to go to. Because there's something you're called to learn. There's something you will know about Jesus on the other side of that storm that you would have never understood without the storm. There's some tension and some growth, some stretching, some roots that you're called to understand that, that you're like, I don't like this, Jared. I don't want to go through any more storms. I think I've been through enough. And I understand it. But I, I, I've, I've had some storms, and I can tell you it's worth it on the other side of them. I remember one of the worst my, at least my top two worst storms, uh, started in 2012. And in 2012, uh, I was dreaming and planning on pastoring my grandparents' church. A little bit of backstory to that. Um, my grandparents were older. They were in their late 70s, early 80s at that point. And I had just felt this call that I wanted to see them finish their years of ministry strong. Like they had this mentality, just like I said earlier, we don't retire. Like we're called by God. This is what we do. We love doing it. We're going to do it till the day we die. And I knew that. Like they talked about giving it up, but I knew that they couldn't give it up. That like they were going until they died. And uh, I was excited because in this opportunity in 2012, I was like, okay, I could, they were getting starting to have their bodies give out on them in a way that they couldn't really lead the church appropriately, but they still want to be a part and, and minister inside the church. I was like, okay, if I, if I lead the church, then I can help that process. I can still give them a platform. They'll still get to do ministry. I'll still get to do ministry at them at the end. And I was super excited about it. I prayed about it. I was like, okay, this is what we're called to do. Me and my wife prayed about it. We're like, we're called to take over the church. Everything was going smoothly. There were six months of just dreaming and planning and conviction that God was going to do something. It was going to be amazing. Six months into it, we start to get ordained. We find out the denomination we're in. We can't be ordained with them because of the beliefs that we had. And we're like, hey, should we lie about our beliefs to be ordained? And like, that's probably not a good way to start your ordination. Uh, so maybe not. And so like, well, what does that mean? I don't know what that means. That's not fun. And we prayed and we prayed and we spent some time fasting together. And as we prayed, asked hard questions, thought about why we wanted to do what we were doing, what we were called to do, we felt God telling us it was, that the door was closed that it was time to not only, not only was it time to not take over the church, it was actually time to step away from the church. And just maybe a side note, this may not really, this may just be a side note for some of you. The, the clearest I can typically hear God is when I know I don't want to do it, but I know he's calling me anyways. I would be really, really leery to hear the voice of God on things that I really, really want. Just, just as a caveat, I had a professor that talked about this a lot. Just be really careful to hear the voice of God on things that you really, really want. Like especially when your flesh is involved and it's easier for you and it's better for you if you do this thing. It's more comfortable for you if you do this thing. You know, like, like, yeah, that's my wife's problem. I'm not doing anything wrong in this marriage. That's all her fault. So Jesus, you work on her because I'm good, right? Those kind of like, I heard the voice of God tell me that I was good. 
be a little, little leery. Like, no, I parented good. My, my kids are acting like fools as teenagers. That's on them because they're acting like fools. I'm a perfect parent. That's on them. Be, just, just be careful. Like, I'm going to quit this job because my boss is a knucklehead and I don't want to listen to him no more. He don't know nothing about nothing. So I'm about to quit my job because it feels better to get away from the tension, the struggle, the wrestle. Be careful hearing the voice of God on something you really want. That's all I'm saying. Like, I want to go here because it looks cool and everybody likes it. I'm going to go to this college. I'm going to go to this thing. I'm going to take this job. I'm going to buy this car. I'm going to live in this house. Oh, it looks good. It feels good. It must be God. And sometimes that's a little scary way to hear from God. So in this season, I I knew it was God because I didn't want to do it. And like, I couldn't fight against it because I was arguing with God. You know, you get to that place where you're like, is this God? Is this, isn't God? And then you're like, God, don't make me do this. And you're like, oh, I'm arguing with God. That's stupid. Just do what you're supposed to do. So we stepped down, and that eight-month period was some of the darkest months in my life. Like, I was like, what? Like, I don't, why did you tell me that I was supposed to take over the church? Like, did I mess that up? Did I do something wrong? Or, or did man get in the way of that decision? Did I hear you wrong? Did you never tell me to take over the church? I'm so confused. God, it would be nice if you gave me an answer. And to this day, I don't know the answer to that. I don't need to know the answer to that because I process through and process like, Some things I don't know, I just need to know what I need to do now, right? There were moments in that also where there was this like tension of, man, I love, there were certain things that I loved about who we were as a church and there were certain things I was like, ah, that's, that felt gross. Like, I don't want to ever do that if I lead a church. And I had to wrestle through not throwing the baby out with the bathwater, not taking out all the good things that I learned in that church and throwing them out with the bad things that I didn't like about how we led the church. Right? There, were, there was this tension and this wrestle. And one of the things that kept coming up, and this is the, one of the weirdest experiences of my life, I would have these like five to ten second, the only way I can describe them is anxiety attacks. Now, if you have anxiety attacks, I wasn't having anxiety attacks. I'm not saying that. Yours are way worse. They last longer. I'm not clinically diagnosing myself. But that's the best way I know to describe them. They're like five to ten second moments of despair where I just was at the pit of despair for just like 10 seconds. You might know it, the similar feeling, if you think back to a memory that you have that's really cringy, where like every time you think about that moment in front of the class and what you said or what you did, you're like, ooh, 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 I don't wanna think about that anymore. It's kind of that sensation, but way darker and way deeper. And that despair, that moment for me was, what if I'm wrong? Like I went to this place of like, what if, what if God's not real and Jesus isn't who he says he is? What if he's not even real? What if I'm spending my whole life wasting my time on this thing? And I would go through all of these, like, what if eternity is nothingness and it's just black? And it was like, I mean, those questions can exist and I'm fine with those questions, but this was despair for a moment and like heart palpitations for a moment. And then I would have to go back and process through like, oh, this is why I believe scripture is real. This is why I believe God is real. This is why I believe Jesus is who he says he is. And this is why I believe Jesus rose from the dead. And I would walk myself back there multiple times in that period. And in that tension, I grew in a way that I had never grown before. There are so many things that have come out of that tension, that struggle, that wrestle. Like to this day, you can come in this church and you say, Jared, I've got doubts and I've got wrestles. And because I've been through those at the darkest levels, the darkest parts, I'm okay with that. We can have that conversation. I'm not offended. I'm not scared. I'm okay with you having the tension of your doubts because I know what it can produce in you. And we can have a conversation about if God's real, if Scripture's the the Word of God, if Jesus really rose from the dead. We can have those conversations because there's a storm that I went through and I saw the other side of it. So I know you can too. And I know it's okay to ask those questions and wrestle through those doubts. 
There was something that I learned about the goodness of God and how even if our plans fail and even if we think we heard him, we thought we heard him wrong, we're not sure if man messed it up, we messed it up, he'll still work things out for the good if we'll trust him and follow him. And I learned things and grew through things of like, of learning how I want a church to be and who church is and what church is supposed to be about when I stepped in staff to life church that I would have never done if I had pastored my grandparents' church. So there's a lot of things about it I may not know, but I know what he did in me. And I know what the storm produced in me. And I know what the storm can produce in you and what the tension can grow in you that nothing else can. So what I would challenge you to do is dive into the storm. Like if he's calling you to a place where it's hard and it's difficult, or if you're experiencing a place that's hard and difficult, dive in. Like, like, so, so there's three things I need you to do. The first thing is what the disciples did. They, they went straight to Jesus. Three things. Go to Jesus. Go to Scripture. Hear what the Word of God is saying. If you are living in sin, get out of sin. It's not that complicated. If you're in a storm and you're sinning, get out of sin. And if it's hard to get out of sin, have the hard conversations so that you can help yourself get out of sin. Do whatever it takes to live your life by the Word of God. And I know it's not as simple as just stop sinning, but do whatever it takes. Set up whatever environment, whatever you've got to do, because the call of God is so important. Get to Jesus, figure out what he's saying to you and do it. The second thing I want you to do is pull out all of your motives. Like, what are you weeding away from me? If you're in the storm, you're feeling the tension of seed time and you're feeling and pressuring you, what are you trying to get off of me? Like the, the storm breaks some things off you, some understandings. The disciples understood something about Jesus they weren't going to understand ever without it. And they were breaking off their old concepts of who the Messiah was. They broke away from what they believed Jesus was. It's just like this cool healer. He's kind of like Elijah. He's kind of like David. He's a mixture of the two. He's going to be really cool. Oh, wait, he commands the storms. He commands the winds. That's bigger than Elijah. That's bigger than David. This guy's something else. This guy's something else. They learned something because they were, had something break off of them. So weed through your motives. The last thing, the third thing, have the conversation. We, we kind of talked about this last three weeks. One, know your calling. Two, pull the thorns out of your garden. Get rid of the, the false motives, the wrong motives, the wrong things in your environment. And last week we talked about the right relationships. Find them, invest in them, and have the hard conversation. Right? The best thing you can do is have the right conversation with the right people to find out what God is calling you to do. Now, there's a caveat that I need you to understand. Uh, for many of us, we might be in a storm and in a tense place and in a struggle, not because God has led us there, but because we took a wrong turn. That's a different thing. You actually have the same process that I need you to go through, but it's a different thing. And you need to be aware of which direct, what you're on. Is this something he led me to? Or is it something where I took a, a wrong turn? I want you to ask this question if you're taking notes. Has God led me or am I trying to lead God? Has God led me or am I trying to lead God? See, the disciples at different moments had times where they're like, even Peter was like, no, you can't do that thing, Jesus. You're supposed to do this as the Messiah. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan, because you don't know what God has in store for me. There's a, there's a moment in which Jesus is saying, we're going to do this thing, we're going to go through the storm, and you're like, I'm not going there. I'm not doing that thing. And you need to ask the question, am I, am I where I'm at, my career, my, my relationships, my parenting, my finances, am I at a place where I'm submitted to God and letting Him lead me? Or do I keep getting in other boats and asking Jesus to get in my boat? 
Am I in his boat following his lead, going the direction on the other side of the Sea of Galilee he's called me to? Or have I decided to get in my own boat and go my own direction and just wish he would do what I asked him to do? You stop singing Jesus take the will from Carrie Underwood and you started asking Jesus to give the will back so you could take the lead. It's at that moment where you decide you don't need to take the will, you need to get in the driver's seat. I'll sit in the back seat and go where you tell me. I need you to be the navigator, the driver, everything in my life that I follow, and I'll submit to that. Instead of what most of us do is like, oh, that's a good suggestion, Jesus, but I actually think this direction's better. I really, I mean, <laughs> did you not see the storm, the forecast? That's a really bad idea, Jesus. I wish you knew what was about to happen because I ain't going through that. I know I'm the head, not the tail. This ain't for me. I ain't about to do that. I ain't about to get my money up for that. No, I don't think so. I got bills to pay. We've got that mindset. And so what you do is kind of the same process. It's, it's kind of the same process. One, turn back to Jesus. Turn to him wherever he's at. Where are you at? Where are you going? I want to go there. Two, check your motives. Why did I make that decision? Right? If you check your motives and you start getting in your garden, you find out there's some thorns, and you're like, oh, this is what happened. You'll recognize you made the decision out of the wrong emotions. You made the decision out of fear. You made the decision out of anxiety. Or you made the decision out of peer pressure. You said, I might would follow you, but I'm afraid of that storm. I'm afraid of the valley of the shadow of death. I'm afraid of what is going to happen when I follow you. I might would follow you, but they don't know what it'd be like if I drove around in a hoopty. They don't know what it'd be like if I shifted my finances and got off social media and started using a flip phone all the time. They wouldn't understand that, Jesus, so I don't want to look bad to my friends or my family. So I don't know if I can go that route. The other thing, one of the things that you probably did, if you were making a decision, you took a wrong turn, and you look back and you say, did I end up here because of that decision? Yes, I did. How did that decision happen? You probably only asked your woo friends. When I say your woo friends, the ones that will go all in with you no matter what you say. Like, they got your back. Like, those are the friends that are like, hey, we we got to throw down. Like, we're going to fight some people. And they're like, I don't care what it is. Let's do it. We're murdering somebody. Let's go. I'm in. Let's go. Those are nice to have sometimes. But sometimes you need some friends that go, is that the best decision in your life? Right? Is, is, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I know, I know that that's going on, but what if maybe you had a part to play in the fight in your marriage? Sometimes you need some friends that are going to ask you tough questions and not just woo you and be like, woohoo, yeah, you're right. Oh, they're wrong. That boss is stupid. You don't need to show up at work on time. That's on them. You was just running late because you were getting your nails done after lunch. That's on them. Right? Like, you don't always need those woo friends in your life. Sometimes... Sometimes you need some friends that will ask you hard questions because they love you enough to frustrate you so that you get on the right path. And if you made the wrong turn, you probably avoided those friends, the ones that you know actually, and you went all the way in to the woo girls, the woo guys, the guys that are down to ride or die, whatever you want to call it. You went to those rather than the ones that were godly voices in your life because you knew what they were going to say and you were afraid to hear it. You were led the wrong direction. Obviously, the right direction is you, wet, you, you weeded out all those motives, you had the right conversations, you turned to Jesus. And any, any point that you're going the wrong direction, just turn back. Turn back. The Scripture says to repent. Anytime you're going the wrong direction, you end up in a storm. Look, there, there's, there's a difference between the storm He took you through because the storm He took you through didn't hurt the disciples. 
They didn't, they didn't, they, there was no physical damage to them. There was no pain to them. They actually grew through the storm versus a storm that will take you out and hurt you in the process and hurt your family in the process. There's a difference. When you take yourself out of the covering of Jesus, there's this like umbrella idea of Jesus guarding you and protecting you, and you want to stay, out in that, stay under that umbrella. But when you step out on the storm on your own and get away from Him, He's not going to take your free will away from you. Don't, don't misunderstand when Scripture says He will never leave you nor forsake you. That's not the same thing as saying He's going to force you to do everything He's called you to do. He will give you the choice to walk away from Him and get hurt by the storm and believe that you're going to eventually come back to Him and learn and grow and stretch in the process of the wrong decision. It's the same process. Turn back to Jesus. Get rid of your motives and have the hard conversation. It's the same process. It's just one you understand, I made a mistake. Now, some of you might be in this like, maybe you're in this mindset where you're like, listen, man, I, I prayed this prayer and I'm saved. So I don't know what you're talking about these storms, but I'm just trying to make it to heaven. Okay. <laughs> and my pastor years ago told me that I say this prayer, I'm going to heaven. So I don't know about storms, but I know where I'm going. So I'm not trying to go that way. I'm going to go the easy route and do what I want to do. Now, there's a danger in that. There is a danger in believing that, oh, I'm good because I prayed a prayer. First off, it's not in Scripture. Just, just assuming that you're, you're, in, you're in a good place because you prayed a prayer one time when you're eight. Even the most staunch of believers in that idea, if you press them and you have a hard conversation with the theologians, the pastors that have that belief system, even the, the ones that believe it the most would say this, look, if they're a prodigal son, they will eventually come back. If they're a prodigal son and they pray to prayer and they follow Jesus and they will eventually come back. But no son of God will stay gone and not come back and follow him. And so there's this weird sense of security that might not be Scripture comfort in your life if you think I'm good because I prayed a prayer because Scripture says you're good when you follow Jesus. Scripture doesn't say you're good because you prayed a prayer. Scripture says that when you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that he is Lord, he is just and righteous and will save you but when you stop confessing and believing and living like it's true, I would be concerned. And every pastor would tell you, be concerned if you live like Jesus isn't real, if you're not following him with your life, if you're willing to abandon the storm because you're afraid of following him where he's called you to go. Be afraid for what your God. Scripture says to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Look, I can be comforted for all the people in my life that, that I don't know about their salvation, but Scripture does not give me comfort for my own heart. I have to check my own heart. I have to check my own motives and assess my own direction. Am I following Jesus? Because if I'm not, I'm in danger. Like uh, the building's burning down. I should be afraid that, that this is the wrong direction. I'm in a bad spot. I better get back in the boat with Jesus. And for those of you who are like, I just don't know. I just want you to know that Jesus was in the boat too. Many of us have this view of God that he's trying to do some things in us and through us. But I need you to know that Jesus has just as much to gain and lose out of your direction and your call as you do, if not more. If not more. Uh, there was a, a time in our life where we got to, uh, to do whitewater rafting in Costa Rica. And um, I'm using this as an illustration, but also to humble brag. I got to whitewater raft in Costa Rica. Uh, and we would take trips and we would go whitewater rafting on these really cool rivers that had three and four rapids. And when we would go, I would go down the same river probably seven or eight times in a year. 
And when we would go, I still didn't know when the, when the river was going to curve. I still didn't know when the rapids were coming, when it was going to be calm. Like I'd been on the river multiple times and still didn't understand. But I had a guide in my boat that did. In every turn, like all I had to do in that boat was to listen to his direction. Because you would get in these massive waves where you couldn't see anything, water splashing you in the face, and you're just like, what do I do? And all you had to do in that moment, in the class four rapids, is listen to his instructions. And he had three simple instructions. Paddle forward, paddle backwards, or get down. I just had to be able to listen and go, what is he telling me to do? I don't need to know how big this wave is. I don't need to know how fast this current is. I don't need to know when it ends. I just need to hear his direction. And I need to hear his voice of which direction to go. And in every situation, he had as much to lose as I did for my lack of obedience. Because if I didn't listen, and then a guy behind me didn't listen, we're going to tip that raft. And guess who's in the raft with us? The guide. The guide is in the boat, and the guide is giving instructions. He's got just as much to lose as you if you don't follow So what I'm challenging you to do is to to trust the goodness of God and to trust the Heavenly Father and to trust the guide that's in your boat that no matter what storm He leads you through, no matter what valley you walk through, He's got something to lose on it. So I'm going to challenge you this way if you're taking notes. Choose the hard right thing over the easy wrong. Listen to His voice. Choose the hard right thing over the easy wrong thing. Do the thing that He's called you to do even if it's hard because it's worth it. And what I want you to get, the last thing I want you to grasp is that not only is he growing you and stretching you and making you be able to get to a place where you can sustain the growth you're called to have, that you're able to hold up the calling of God on your life, but he's so amazingly good at taking our struggles and not only growing us through them, but using them to reach somebody else too. It's crazy how he does this almost every time where every struggle we went through not not only grew us, stretched us, taught us something about him, but it also helped somebody else come to know him, somebody else to grow in him. See, in the story uh, with the disciples, they're going to the other side. And as they go to the other side, the storm wasn't just like, okay, we hit the storm. You learned what I need you to learn. Let's turn around and go back to where we were. There was something on the other side that they needed to get to. And when they got to the other side, they get out of a boat and immediately a crazy man meets them. And I mean like biblically crazy, like he's full of demons. He says his name is Legion because he's got a legion of demons inside of him. And it's like, well, that's weird. He probably had some mental disorder. No, you don't have mental disorders that allow you to break chains off of you in the tombs. And that's what the people did. They put chains on him and he had so many demons inside him. He was breaking chains loose because he had so much turmoil, so much struggle inside of him, so much hurt. Jesus walks onto that, sets that man free. Because the disciples were willing to go through the storm that God had called them to go through. And see, your, your storm not only grows you, your valley not only stretches you, not only grows your roots deeper, but there's somebody around you and somebody you may not even know yet that's called to be reached because you made it through, because you walked through the direction God has called you to, because you chose to do the hard right thing over the easy wrong thing. And see, the, the beauty of the gospel is it doesn't even stop there. The, the guy comes back to Jesus and he's like, what do I do now? Like, they don't, they, they think I was a crazy guy and you set me free. And this is what Jesus tells them in Luke chapter 8, verse 39. It says, return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. 
the disciples storm, the thing that grew them, the thing that's going to grow you, reached this man, set this man free, and made him a voice of the gospel to what were like 10 cities all around that area. There was a called the, Deca- the Decapolis, and it was like 10 cities that he could communicate to all around that area that were Jews that needed to be reached with the gospel, that needed to be told about the goodness. Your storm is not just about you. Your storm is not just about you getting to a place where you can be strong enough. Your storm is going to bear fruit so other people can come to know the goodness of God because of the storm and the valley and the seed time that you went through. Him bearing fruit in you is you bearing fruit in other people and them growing and stretching and them reaching other people. See, my storm in 2012, 2013 that stretched me and grew me, grew me to a place where I could hear God and lead differently and be different and live differently, so much so that the, the growth of this church, every salvation that comes up in this building, in this place, every kid that's discipled in Life Kids, every high five that happens at this door, every moment of worship that's intense for us in this moment, every life group where someone's life has changed was an output of what God was growing in me and stretching in me and stretching me to be able to be a part of what He wanted to do in Muskogee. So what's the fruit on the other side of your valley, of your seed time, of your storm? What's the fruit? How much is your marriage going to affect your kids when you start to dive into the storm and ask the right questions? You start to turn back to Jesus. You start to weed out your motives and you start to have the hard conversations with people. What is God going to do with your kids because your marriage is better? And who are your kids going to reach because your marriage was healthy and your kids were healthy? Who's going to be different because you chose to go to the right college that God had called you to go to because you followed His voice, not the one everybody else wanted you to go to? Who's going to be reached because you choose to consistently show up in church and worship like crazy because you know God's called you to do it? Who's going to be different around you because you're faithful to hear the voice of God even when it's hard? You're going to grow different, but you're going to reach people different too. Let's pray. God, I thank You for a group of people who are going to accept the challenge. And God, they're going to accept the challenge to do the hard right thing over the easy wrong. They're going to accept the challenge to turn to you, to hear your voice, to weed through their own motives, and God, have the hard conversations. That they will, God, in this moment, recognize that their environment does not dictate their calling. That they are called by you no matter what environment they're in. And they'll believe that. They'll believe the voice that you've placed inside of them. They'll believe the Spirit of God in their life, that there's more than what they're going through, and there's a reason for why they're going through it. And that, God, whether we turned astray from you and we started going the wrong direction, or if you led us through the storm, God, you're going to use it in every single season. We're going to grow no matter what as soon as we'll turn back to you, as soon as we'll trust you, as soon as we'll listen to you. You'll even use our bad decisions, God. Even the times that we turned away, if we'll turn back to you, you'll use that too so much so we won't know whether it was your plan or our plan because that's how good you are, God. I pray for a group of people who will take the challenge. With every head bowed, every eye closed. There's, other, there's another group in here that this might be a weird thing to say, but God wants you to follow him into the storm. And maybe you've never decided to do what I talked about earlier, and that's to confess Jesus as the Lord of your life and to live like it's true. Maybe you've never made that decision, and it's time. It might be weird that I'm saying, hey, hey, come, come into the storm with us. Come into the storm with the, with the people of God where you can feel tension and struggle and wrestle. It's going to be so much fun. But what I want you to see, if you're wrestling with that decision and it's time to follow God and you're wrestling with whether you should do it, is there will always be storms. The only question is if you've got Jesus with you in the storm. 
Life brings storms whether Jesus calls you to them or not. You're going to have storms. The question that you have to ask yourself is, is Jesus in your boat? Did you decide to get in the boat with him and trust him with your life and know that there's going to be a purpose in the storm? Or did you decide to do life on your own and find out there's zero purpose in the storm? It's just a storm of bad decisions. It's just a storm of my own selfish desires. It's just a storm of the direction I wanted to go. I promise you, the storm on the other side with Jesus in the boat is worth it. The other storm's not. The storm with Jesus is better than the greatest life ever without him. And then he promises eternity. See, that's just in this life. And then he promises an eternity where he's washed your sins away, all your mistakes, all your shame, and all your guilt. And he said, come, come dine with me. Come, come live with me. I've made a way for you when you couldn't make a way for yourself. And if that's you and you're saying, I've wrestled with this, I'm done wrestling, I'm ready to follow Jesus with my life, would you raise your hand right now and meet me eye to eye? Every head bowed, every eye closed. Now's the moment.